All right, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. If, uh, if you're new to the Bible, it's an easy one to find. It's the first book in the Bible. So right away, you'll find Genesis at the beginning there. Chapter 13 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you forgot a Bible, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, get your hand up and grab one of these so you can follow along. Um, I've got some stuff that I want to say, but I'm telling you, the power is in God's Word. So you want a copy of God's Word in front of you, so grab a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, take one of these home as our gift to you. So grab a copy of God's Word and open up or, or turn on where you've got on your smartphone and scroll over to Genesis chapter 13. For, for many people, our, our identity can be so wrapped up by what we do or by who we're connected with, who we're in relationship to. So, so we define ourselves by, by being a mom or by being a dad or by being a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter. And our identity is placed, our hope is placed on these people that we relate to. Or we can grab our identity by what we do. Or we say, you know, I'm a carpenter. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a police officer. I'm a teacher. I'm a homeschool mom. I'm a student. And we, we put our identity in that. That's who I am. Or, or another place, we can put our identity in what we think that other people are. We put our hope and our identity in following them. That's why we, we emulate movie stars or athletes or, or musicians. Or, or we go on Facebook and we kind of we Facebook stalk people, right? And we're like, oh, I wonder what they're doing. Man, how come their life's so good? I wish we were more like them. And we forget that Facebook is a sham, right? We know that, don't we? They should rename it to put your best face forward book, all right? That's, that's all it really is, right? And what happens though, we, we look to that for our identity and then, then you've got somebody looking there and they're, they're scrolling through Facebook and then they're like, hey, wow, that marriage must be perfect. They, look at that, they went out to, to that fancy restaurant for Valentine's Day and then you turn, man, how come you can't be more like them? How come you can't love me like this couple's in love? And it, it's Facebook. They put that, nobody puts up the picture of the fight on the way to the restaurant, right? All right, let's post this video on, as you're driving to the restaurant. You don't do that, right? And then what do we do? We, we put our identity, our hope, but man, I wish I was more like. And these things, we begin to, to build our life and our identity on these. We, we, we build what I would say is we be our foundations under our feet. Say, this is what my life is gonna rest on. And then God comes in and says, I've got a better foundation than that. If you're taking notes this morning, our first point this morning is this, the call of God gives, my, gives me a new life foundation. The call of God gives me a new life foundation. I mean, God calls us. We see this in Abraham's life who we're tracking within this series that God calls us. There's this personal call into your life. We, we would call it the gospel. The gospel is just a, a word that means good news. In, in ancient times, what would happen is that the gospel would be given because in your city, as your city maybe goes, maybe goes to war with another city, the gospel was the news that came back that the victory had been won. That was a gospel message. And God comes with this gospel message for us, this good news message for us that the battle's been won. That, that while we were sinners and separated from God, because of our sin, enemies of God, Christ came, died for us. God reached into our mess. God reached into this frantic attempt we have of trying to build this foundation under us. And God steps into that. And he says, I've got a foundation for your soul that will never crumble. 
And you don't need to build that foundation. God says, I've built it for you. You can just rest on this. And the call of God on our lives, we begin to see in scripture that, that this call on us begins to show us that our, our foundation, our identity isn't on the things around us. That's not our foundation. Our foundation isn't on what we create for ourselves. No, no, God calls us out of that monotonous, boring box of culture that says this should be your foundation. And it says, listen, here's your foundation. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Don't, you don't construct your own identity. You were created by me and I have your identity for you. And, and now we're transformed by that news because Jesus steps in to that frantic building and he says, listen, I've made a way for you through my death to have this foundation of forgiveness and wholeness that we could never create for ourselves. It's the only foundation that can withstand the weight of our souls. Everything else we try to place our lives on, our identity on, our purpose on, every other one crumbles and leaves us so desperate. It crumbles and leaves us, it leaves us in anxiety, in worry, in emptiness, in grasping for more, in pride, in hypocrisy. And I, I read through the story of Abraham and I start to look at the call God placed on his life and how he responded to it. And I start asking, man, man am I really following the call of God? I mean, do I have this same foundation? And I'm not talking, am I, am I religious enough? I'm not trying to convince us, oh, hey, you need to do more, do more, do more if you wanna be a Christ follower. No, no, if you, if you start from this do more perspective and that's the foundation you build, it doesn't work and it's so tiring. But I'm also not just talking about this. I'm not just saying, hey, we need to, we need to renounce all the sinful things we place under our feet no, because it's not just sinful things we cram under us for identity, for purpose. It could even be good things. Where God gives us a spouse and that spouse is a great gift but, but can never, ever be the foundation for our soul. I'm not talking uh, about pursuing more religion. I'm not talking about being better Christians. What I am talking about though is are we following Jesus? Are we laying down our life in response to the gospel that says this, I'm more broken and sinful than I would ever admit to anybody else. But in Christ, I'm more loved and cared for and forgiven than I would ever dare to imagine. And then because of that call, we respond to that call and we live in a different way. A call that says your foundation, your hope, your peace, your purpose, your identity is in Christ. That call completely changed Abraham. It made him stand out from his culture and it, it, it makes us stand out from our culture. I think it's why the church has been considered dangerous all throughout church history, all throughout history. Why? Because the church stands out as this weird, odd group of people. It, it doesn't fit. It, it isn't predictable where people look in and go, man, I, I don't get you guys. Why would you do life that way? How could you forgive that person who wounded you so deeply? How, how could, why, why would you give away so much of your resources? That doesn't make sense. Why would you serve in these places? Why would you love those people that are so unlovable? If you're here last week, 
We first started the series, The Call of Abraham. In the beginning of chapter 12, it, it calls Abraham out of his culture, calls him away and says, listen, you're gonna leave it all behind. You're gonna leave your family. You're gonna leave your culture. You're gonna leave your tribe. You're gonna move to a place that I'll show you. And we're gonna see throughout this series that that call comes back again and again and again. It just keeps coming, this call that defines Abraham, that tells him who he is, that shapes who he is. So Abraham, as we're tracking through this series, he really becomes this model for us of what does it mean to be a Christian? Because he's living his life based on a call that changed everything for him. So let's pick up with his life now in chapter 13. Starting in verse one, it says, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negev. Now, Negev, that's just an area of land that's soon gonna be the promised land where he's moving into. And Lot, Lot's his nephew. So Uncle Abe and Lot, they're, they're on their way. And it says, verse two, now Abraham, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning when he first was called by God, between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents. So here we see Abram and his, his nephew Lot, they've increased. God has blessed these guys. They're, they're getting bigger and more and more. They're starting to increase so much so, if you're, if you're gonna be a wealthy person in this time period, your wealth isn't just gonna be all in stocks and in the bank. And no, your wealth will start to spread out. You'll have more camels and cattle and livestock and tents and servants. So you get, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So what happens, the wealthier you get in that culture, the more space you're gonna need. So look what happens. These guys have increased so much, verse six, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's flocks and the herdsmen of Lot's lives, sorry, livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So here you've got this, these two people in one place. They can't stay there together. They're too big to be together. This town isn't big enough for the two of us kind of thing, Right? So what happens here, what Abraham's about to do, what we're about to read is so countercultural. If there's a disagreement about land in this culture, you, you, you do one of two things. You either went to war, and, and they could have done that. And Abraham was bigger than Lot. He had more than Lot did. He had more people than Lot did. Although it would have cost him some to go to war, he probably would have won that war. So you either go to war or the bigger, the stronger of the society says, here's how it's all gonna go out, go down. Right, so Abraham, being the older in the family, he could have just said, hey, hey, Lot, you're going somewhere else. Like that, that's how culture worked then. Now, it's not much different than our culture today, right? When you look at our culture today, it's kind of the same thing. Man, I, I look at the, the little microcosm of culture in my home. That's how it works in my house. When my kids have a disagreement, they got two options, they think. It's gonna be war or the stronger one's gonna get it. Nope, I'm the oldest, it's mine. No, dad gave that to me. I get, right? That, okay, maybe you're, in your homes, apparently you guys, your kids just all pray together and work it out. In mine, there's war, all right? And that's kind of how it goes. Well, well, here's what happens. Look at what he does. Verse eight, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we're kinsmen, we're, we're family. It's, 
Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. Crazy. Now, something had changed in Abe, right? He finds this new foundation. He has this new call in his life. And now his priorities, his ambitions have completely changed. In fact, this chapter is gonna give us this this unique opportunity of, of jumping into a character study of two different people with two different foundations. One foundation leads to chaos and ultimately to destruction. The other leads to increase and to blessing. So, so let's, let's jump right in. Then we're, we're gonna look at the foundation of Lot first. Look at verse 10. So Abraham says, take whatever you want. Lot lifted up his eyes. He saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. So Lot looks out, he sees this amazing land, this this place where he could continue to grow his wealth, a place of, of possibility, a place of promise. Lot's foundation was not the call of God on his life. Now, now before we get too hard on Lot, let's think about it. What Lot was was doing, I mean, the the call of God on Abraham's life was a very, very goofy call. It was crazy. It was radical. What had God called Abraham to do? Hey, Abraham, leave everything and follow me. Leave where life is really good. Leave where where the land is good and comfortable and prosperous. Leave all of that. You're gonna go out into the middle of nowhere and I'll show you where it's gonna be, but you're just gonna have to wait. Wait for the blessing to come. Wait for the promised increase. I mean, that's a crazy call. But listen, listen, that's the call we have on our lives too. You know that, right? Jesus steps in and calls out every one of us. Hey, if you want to follow me, die to yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, I hear that. Jesus saying, man, leave everything to follow me. And I'm like, wait, there's got to be a plan B in here somewhere. That, that can't be it. So Jesus, what else could I do? How about, how about that? Oh, is there anything like just go to church every once in a while? Is that good enough? Like, can I just do that? Like, how about I just clean my life up a little bit? Well, how about this, Jesus? I won't give it all up to follow you. I'll, I'll just, I just won't swear as much. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just how, about, how about I just keep everything I've got? I just keep doing what I'm doing and I'll just learn some good Christian lingo and I'll just kind of go through the religious movements, but I, I won't have to give everything. And, and, I mean, that's Lot. Lot's looking here going, yeah, I'm not doing that call on Abraham's life. I'm not doing that. There's an opportunity right here in front of me. There's where I'm going. And so he he prioritizes his personal increase over the call of God, over even his relationship with his uncle. Hey, business is business, right, Uncle Abe? This isn't personal, but I'm gonna take the best. And this bad foundation, this this misplaced priority of, of property and wealth and prosperity, it's done nothing but cause hearts to be disordered. And when a heart is disordered, it spills out into other people's hearts. You see in this text that they start to fight amongst each other. The herdsmen start to, start to battle with each other. There's strife there. There's this horizontal conflict because disordered hearts are spilling out. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with pursuing wealth. Like, wait, are you saying I, I can't ever grow financially? I can't, I can't pursue to, to make more money? Of course not. But there's something else going on here that's deeper than just a desire to make a living. 
In fact, look at verse 10. It says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley it was well watered everywhere. It says this, like the garden of the Lord. Now commentaries will say this, that that phrase, the garden of the Lord, it's not just a, a common phrase you'd use, like we would use it here in Muskoka, right? Tell the city people, they come up, hey, welcome to God's country, right? It's not that kind of phrase. It's not like, oh, this is just God's country. It's actually a specific phrase used to describe the garden of Eden. So he's looking out and he says, this is like the Garden of Eden. Now, why is that important? Because he's not just saying this is a place of prosperity. He's saying this is a place of peace and hope. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And the Garden of Eden was this, this place of shalom where, where Adam and Eve are placed in this, this place of peace, this shalom in the midst of chaos around them of the untamed creation around them. There's this, this peace. And so Lot looking out, he's not just seeing nice grass and well-watered fields. He's saying, this is my shalom. This is my peace and my meaning. This is my hope. It's this desire every one of us has in us to know that we're significant. This desire in us to know that we're loved, to, to know that our lives have meaning. Because listen, in the Garden of Eden, we knew who we were. We knew we had value. We knew we were worth. Because in the Garden of the Lord, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were walking with the Lord. And then sin enters in and we lose that shalom. We don't know who we are anymore. And we don't know what we're worth we try so hard to get back into that garden, so hard to get back to that shalom. And we're saying, man, if, if I only had that, if I had this, this would give me peace. If, if I had that relationship, that relationship would fill me up and then I would know that I'm loved and I'm significant. If I, if I had this kind of career, if I made that kind of money, if, I, if my parents were more like this, if my kids were more like that, if I was in this school, then my life would be a garden again and things would be all right. And that inner emptiness, that chaos, would be gone. You see that there's, there's more going on here in Lot's heart than just money. There's more going on in our hearts than just money. There's more going on than just a career. There's more going on than just a desire for family, for being in love. There's this deep need for us to find this foundation to place our souls on. Have you ever been driving before and you see those signs at a bridge and it's got a picture of a truck and it has like a weight limit under it, right? Unless you drive a truck, you're like, I don't even know what that weighs. I don't know. And you're, you're, does my car weigh enough? And you look over at my husband's been gaining weight. Are we going to make it across this, right? You might be thinking those things like, are we gonna, is this going to be okay, right? Listen, our souls are like this massively huge transport truck driving out onto this tiny bridge that can't hold us up. When we put our hope in these other things and our hearts and our families and our relationships fall apart under the weight of us trying to make these things foundational. It collapses when we, when we think I, I can drive my soul over the bridge of, of money or status or, or acceptance from people or sex or control and order or, or careers or, or a perfect spouse or a perfect family. And 
Listen, when we begin to drive our souls over those bridges that can't hold us up, not only does it hurt our hearts, but it spills out into those around us. I mean, look at Lot. He makes this choice in verse 12. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom are wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Everybody knows Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We, we know what these cities represent and that's where the money was. That's where he wanted to be. Eventually, you read the next couple of chapters of Genesis, Lot doesn't just move beside Sodom. He moves right into Sodom. He becomes a prominent figure in Sodom. I mean, for some of us, our priorities, our ambitions can lead us to some very dark places. And maybe you found yourself, you, you've been drawn further and further into a place you thought you would never end up. And now you're deep into addictions, deep into pornography, into adultery, into greed, into pride, into a bitterness that just won't go away, into anxiety that's got you gripped. As you seek out a foundation where a foundation can't be found, that, that, that drive, that sin will take you so far, further than you ever wanted to go. It will cost you more than you thought you would pay. It will keep you longer than you ever thought you would stay. But here's the good news. Listen, there's a way out. There's a way back to hope. We see it in Abraham's life. Abraham had a different foundation. Well, what's, the, what's the foundation of Abraham? We read in chapter 12, after he's called by God, Abraham actually does some pretty dumb things. He, he takes off, there's a famine, so he goes down to Egypt. And as he's heading into Egypt, Abraham turns to his wife, Sarai. Remember he said last Sunday, she was a beautiful woman. So beautiful that Abraham said, hey, you know what, sorry, um, when we go into Egypt, there's probably gonna be guys who are really attracted to you and they're gonna wanna take you as their wife. And um, if they wanna do that and we're married, they'll kill me or throw me in jail, do something bad to me. So here, here's my plan. Um, why don't we go to Egypt? You tell everybody that you're my sister. Then, then Abraham's big plan. Then they can take you, but I don't get killed. What a horrible plan. All right, husbands, never make this plan. All right, bad plan. It will come back to haunt you. Not only will it not work really well, but you will, you'll never stop hearing about that one, right? Like, here's the thing. Bad plan, what he does. He gets into trouble because of it. It goes horribly wrong. So what does he do with that? Where's his foundation? See, his foundation was loose. It was wrong. It was like, oh, I want to take care of myself here. And he, but what happens when he, what does he do? Again, look at verse four of chapter 13. He goes where? To the place where he'd made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. How does he come back from that place? How can we come back from those places that our decisions have taken us to where our hearts are disordered? He comes back to a place of repentance. He brings his brokenness. He brings his bad choices. He brings his disordered heart to the one place where he can find hope and healing and shalom. He repents. He, he turns his heart away from where it was looking and repent just means to, to do a 180. He turns from that saying, that's not my hope. And he turns back to the Lord in repentance to rest where? To rest in the gospel that God, you can take care of this. I mean, everything we do, we're trying so hard to get back into the garden of Eden. But listen, we can't do that without a work of God. 
So what do we do? We rest in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. We rest on the call of God that leads us back to this place of repentance. And we lay the stuff at the altar saying, Lord, I put my hope in this. I don't want to do that anymore. Thank you for your forgiveness. Show me more of who you are. Show me more of who I am in you. And we come back to that altar of grace. Now for many, our priorities won't, uh, won't lead us to dark places. For, for many here, having our priorities disoriented will, will keep us out of dark places God wants us to go. You understand this, that if you're a Christ follower, the call on every one of us who call Christ our Lord is to go into the Sodoms of our world. When you're following Jesus, your heart is for the broken and the lost of our communities. And here's the thing, the broken and the lost aren't just wandering in here to church. They're not thinking, you know what? I know what I need, man, I need church. Very few people are doing that, right? But what happens? The broken and the lost, though, you go into their world. You go into their brokenness in their life. You say, I'm coming in with the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to love you. I want to care for you. How do we get to where we are here as a church now? To grow from this, this little group of people who have no idea what we're doing to being this big group of people now who still have no idea what we're doing, right? We're pursuing Jesus. How, how does it grow like this? Because listen, because you've gone out into your world. You've reached into your community. You've, you've stepped into broken lives. You've, you've invited broken people into your small group. You've stepped into the brokenness in your small group. Man, we're not just gonna stop at the surface, man. We wanna go deep into the foundations. We wanna love each other. We wanna care for each other. We're called to be a people who go. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, I'll be with you always, but let's not rip that out of context. That's a good promise to know that Jesus, you're with me always. In the context of when he says it, he says, go into all the world and I'll be with you always. I want the presence of Christ in my life, then go. I mean, think about this, think about why were we given the Holy Spirit? What's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit? I'm telling you, it's not so that we can do these cool tricks in a big crowd and wear a goofy suit on TV as we're knocking people over with some power of the Holy Spirit. That's not what the Holy Spirit was given for. In Acts, it says the Holy Spirit was given what? For the power for us to be witnesses. So that when your neighbor, when their marriage is falling apart, The Spirit gives you the words to say as you point them to the hope they could have in Christ. That's the Spirit of God at work. When you're worried about, hey, where will the finances come? Because I know we've been called to give sacrificially to this ministry. And remember, you're kind of like, man, I don't know where the money's gonna come this time. Things are tight. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you that, that spirit-wrought peace about giving sacrificially. When you're leading your family and you're opening up the word and your family are worried, like, man, I, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Bible scholar. And how am I supposed to open my word to my, to the, the word to my kids? And it's the Holy Spirit that at times says, hey, I'm gonna make God's word come alive for you and for your kids. It's when you're put into a situation where you're like, Lord, I don't know what I'm gonna do here. I don't know what to say. I'm so far in over my head because I'm going so far out for the cause of the gospel. I'm not sure how this is gonna work out. And it's the spirit in you that says, don't worry about it. You're not doing it anyway. I'm the one doing it. Just trust. Just obey. Listen, it's in those moments we experience the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I think the problem in church world is we've, we've kind of re, re, regulated the spirit into this is the only place the spirit works. So we, we want to get together and have worship services because, man, that's where I feel the spirit. And listen, I love, I love that God says that he inhabits, inhabits the praise of his people, but we've kind of turned into this weird thing where it's only during a worship service where, yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, do you feel that? I felt that. That was the spirit, wasn't it? Yeah, that was just a good worship service. I kind of, mmm, warm and fuzzy spirit. Yeah, does the Spirit move in worship? For sure, the Spirit moves in worship. But when I read in the book of Acts with the early church, it was way more normal. The Spirit showed up in power when they were outspoken and when they were moving out into their world. When they lived for God, making disciples, they would experience the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm, I'm convicted and convinced. The Spirit's also called, one of the words the Scripture uses for the Holy Spirit is that he's our, he's our comforter. I'm convinced that so often I don't need a comforter because I'm so comfortable already. I mean, when do we need a comforter? It's when we step out of our comfort zone. When we step out of our little preferences and con- conveniences, we step out. God's spirit shows up. I mean, I get excited when I think about what God's doing at our church, at Harvest Muskoka, at Harvest and Perry Sound. I mean, I'm so excited what God's doing where, where, where God has grown a group of passionate people with a desire to reach the lost and the broken in Muskoka and Perry Sound and the world. And like I said, we don't always know how it's gonna work out. We're not always sure how it's gonna happen. We don't always have all the systems in place, but I feel like this. I feel like as we just press into the Lord, desperate in prayer for him to show up, that a work of the Lord happens and we're busy catching up to it. We don't build systems thinking these systems are gonna be what what brings people to Jesus. No, we recognize, man, we need these now because God's doing a work and we just continue to press out and seek him and move out and fired up about giving our lives at any cost for the cause of the gospel. But here's my fear. My fear as a pastor is this. You see this a lot in churches that so quickly a church can go from a movement of people fired up to give their lives for the gospel and it quickly becomes a church that this whole thing becomes about us. Hey, pastor, when are you gonna meet my needs? I'm telling you, churches die when the focus moves towards comfort and preferences. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians, uh, he said, I gave up all my preferences for the cause of the gospel. He says, yeah, for the Jews, I'll become a Jew. For the Gentiles, I'll be a Gentile. For the weak, I'll become weak. He says this in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And what a call that we could place on our own lives. That we would say the same thing. I, I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Paul saying, I gave up my preferences. I, I reoriented my heart so that my heart was focused on the call of Christ. And that this, this heart can move out. Why? Because it's a heart that knows that its hope and its satisfaction and its contentment aren't found out there. It's found in Christ alone. So, so you can say, I can forgive. And how could you forgive that hurt? Because my hope's in Christ. You can say, I can give. I can serve, I can go, I can have peace, I can have hope. Really? Like in your circumstances, it doesn't look like like what's going on around you should bring peace and hope. No, it doesn't, but my hope and my peace, my shalom, my foundation is in Christ. 
I mean, Lot chose what was best for him. Lot chose prosperity. Lot chose comfort. But Abraham asked different questions than Lot did. He didn't say, hey, where's the best land? He said, God, where do you want me to go? We started this whole thing off, seeking the Lord at, at the altar, praying out, calling out to, to God. And, and by doing that, his life looks a bit weird. He lives outside of the cultural norms. He, why wasn't Abraham worried about his land? Why wasn't he worried about his finances? Why wasn't he worried about any of that? Because he had a freedom, freed from the anxiety of losing anything. He didn't need to cling. He didn't need to manipulate. He didn't need to control. He didn't need to worry. Why? Because he lived his life in response to the call of God. In fact, the author of the New Testament book, Hebrews, gives us some insight into what was going on in Abraham's heart that it wasn't just a, a, a I'm gonna be more disciplined. I'm gonna be more religious. There was something foundational that had changed in him. It says this in Hebrews 11, verse eight. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. How did he do that? For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. I mean, did you catch that? Abraham was able to do this because he had a whole new foundation. We're gonna spend our lives looking for the Garden of Eden for our soul where, where we know who we are, what we're worth, what our lives mean, to know that we're loved, to know that we have significance. I mean, this is what drives everyone. And so we build up these foundations, those things that you know what they are. When they're the things that when they're removed, your life feels like it's ending. When the thing's taken away, like my career, my family, my money, my status, my respect, my recognition, and it's like, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do now. The call of God is this. Listen, those aren't your foundations. Change your foundations. I mean, God said to Abraham, leave. Stop, stop finding your security in all those things. He's saying, make my righteousness your wealth. God's saying to us, make my love your identity. Make my approval your joy. Make my will your mission and purpose in life. Make my salvation your story. That your life now would tell the story of the gospel and, and because of that, you're set free. And you won't need to seek after these other things. You won't need to seek after approval and status. Why? Why? Because your foundation will be changed. How do I know? How do I know if my life is built on that foundation, the foundation of Christ alone? What's that look like? Well, here's some practical ways to, to, to be able to see, hey, how do I live this out? Here's one. What's the first in your decisions? I mean, does God get your first and your best? I think what we give our first and best to reveals what we have as a foundation. What's the God in my life? I mean, think about that quickly, just looking at finances. What's it look like for my finances? I mean, I'd say this, everybody tithes to something. And what's a tithe? The tithe, that, that, that gift you give, it's a really, it's an Old Testament concept, right? Where, where they would give a tenth, that's what tithe literally is. It's a, giving a tenth to the Lord. They're saying, yeah, but we don't live in Old Testament times. Man, we're a New Testament church. We're not doing that tithe thing. Yeah, New Testament comes along and it changes. There is no tithe anymore, but unfortunately it's worse, okay? Uh, now, instead of just, hey, give a tenth, Jesus comes along and says, give everything. Give all you can. I'm thinking, I don't know. I like the Old Testament thing better, man. I'll, 
I'll give up bacon to go back to the tenth thing because that seems easier than, than this whole New Testament ideal of, of I just give it all. But let's come off the number for a second. Let's not get caught up in, man, what's a tenth of my income? How do I do that? Let's forget about that. Just think about this. What's the, the first thing and the best thing in my life? Like if, if I were to look at our family budget, so every Saturday, my wife and I try to get together and kind of go over what we spent during the week and where we're going financially and how's it look. And if you were to look through that program we're using to track our finances, what would you see is my hope What's the number one priority in my life? When you look through that, if you're to look through mine, you probably would start to wonder, I, I think Kai worships the Smith's gas station on Highway 11 because a lot of money goes there for fuel, right? But I'm not, what I'm talking about though is when you look at where you place your hope, a great indicator is what we prioritize, what we treasure most, what we trust most, what's, what's the foundation and hope. And, and for many, Finance has become a way to, to this is what my life is gonna be, be about. My significance is in what I own and have. And so we, we spend, we work more, try to get more to build up significance. For others, you can look at that and go, man, yeah, I could see that. What an idol in that person's life. But for others, stuff becomes about fear. And my trust is in what I have. I don't need to spend to feel better and look better, but man, I need to save and work harder to get more because I need this for my hope. But when God's your significance, when God is your hope, you're freed up to be generous. You're freed up from putting your significance in things. You're freed up to become, here's another way to look at it. How do I know my foundation is right? Do you see yourself as an owner or a steward? So God gives you increase. God told Abraham, I'm gonna bless you, why? To bless others. I'm not just blessing you so you never have a bunch of stuff. No, you're gonna be a blessing. So every time Abraham would increase, his mind would think, how does God want me to use this to bless others? Hey, Lot, why don't you choose whatever land you want? God increases us to increase others. So God's basically saying, hey, I'm gonna give this to you. I'm gonna increase you so you can invest in my mission. This isn't yours. You're just my investor. So think about how that would look. Think about if, if you walk by these tables this morning, and you're like, just, man, I, I feel so moved by the story of the Pregnancy Crisis Center in Perry Sound. So, man, I wanna give a huge chunk of money to that. So you grab Amelia. Say, Amelia, I'm writing you a check for that pregnancy crisis center. Here it is. And you write this huge check. She takes it. Wow, this is going to change so many lives in Perry Sound. Thank you. And then weeks later, you, you swing by Godfrey and Amelia's house just to say, hey, what's up? And you go into their, their house there and you go into their living room and, and Godfrey's got the sweetest, huge flat screen TV. I guess they're all flat screen now, right? That shows my age. There isn't anything but, but anyway, this huge TV with surround sound, some sweet leather chairs. You're like, these are great. Where'd you get these? Oh, Amelia got a huge check. Someone gave it to her at church. So she just bought this stuff. Isn't this great? You would be ticked off. Would you not be? You're like, wait a minute. I didn't give that money for you to have surround sound. I, I gave that because you were supposed to use this to change lives. Listen, every single one of us, every individual follower of Jesus Christ, we're sort of all little nonprofit ministries. Right? And God's given donations to you as his little nonprofit ministry. 
And he's saying, here, I'm gonna bless you. I'm giving this to you because I want you to use this, not for yourself, not just all in your own luxuries, not just for you. No, 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 no. I want you to use this to, to, for my mission. So, so when we take all the stuff that God increases us with and we spend it all on ourselves, continue to spend it on my luxuries, my wants. Listen, it's like we're embezzling God's money. God's blessed us to increase our capacity for generosity. I said this last week as well. We're not increased to increase our standard of living. We're increased to increase our capacity for giving. I mean, I think about it as, a, as a church now, forget about individuals, but as a, as a church, why has God blessed our church? Why has he filled this thing up so much? What's his purpose for this? For one reason that we reach Muskoka, Perry Sound, and the world with the gospel. So I'm thinking about this, this Huntsville plant, this building we've been given in Huntsville. God, God, why would you give us that? Why would you keep increasing us that? And, and I, I get it, I mean, I, I, talking to, to many of you, we're talking about this, what's this look like? What do you guys think? And we're praying through what it's gonna look like. And here's the thing, it's not gonna be easy. There are some major sacrifices we're gonna be making for this. I mean, I'm talking to people who are like, you know what, like I, I live in Huntsville, so I'm so excited to, to have a church there to, to reach out there. Or, or I, you know, I'm from Bracers. I'm excited that our focus is going to be more focused on our, our community, not so spread out. But, but then you say, but, but you know what, I've got family or friends that live in the other town, and now we're kind of splitting up, and that's, that's hard. Or parents say, man, my kids finally found a, a, a group of kids on Sunday morning. They're just saying that now they're not going to be in the same church. That's a sacrifice. Or, or, or this is going to cost us financially and, and we're going to need to be giving. Yeah, the building was, was given to us for free, but the renovations aren't going to be free. And the, we're going to be asked to give sacrificially to, to see this thing happen. And, or, or if you're from Bracebridge, you're like, hey, wait a minute. How, how did this happen? We, we gave a bunch of money and all of a sudden we've, we've, we've built a campus in Perry Sound. And now, now we've, we're, we're building one in Huntsville. Man, how come we keep being second in line? And you lay that down as a sacrifice. It's not easy. We do it all. Why? Because of the call. How we give reveals our foundation. But, but not, not only that, how we live reveals our foundation. I mean, think about Abraham again. Where did he go? What did he do when he completely screwed everything up? He, he didn't run to despair. He, he didn't run to more religious activity. He didn't run to, to a person, to a spouse, to, to Sarah, his wife. He didn't run to his kids and say, well, man, they're my hope. They need to help me. He didn't defend his actions. What did he do? He went and he rested in the gospel. He went back to the altar, rested in God's grace. He, he took that condemnation. He took that brokenness and just laid it on the altar. So, so how do I know if I'm living out of this foundation of Christ alone? You begin to look and see where is my hope and where is my significance? How do I handle failure? I mean, if you find yourself never able to get past, past sins or choices, your mistakes, your shortcomings, listen, your foundation is off. Stop resting in yourself. Stop resting in anything else and, and begin to rest in the gospel. Begin to rest in the total acceptance of God. You bring your bitterness, you bring your anxiousness, you bring your hurts, you bring your significance, you bring it all and say, I'm resting this in the gospel. I'm resting this in the fact that God, you took care of everything. 
So Abraham could rest in that because his hope wasn't in himself. His hope wasn't in his stuff. It wasn't in, in, in what he owned. It wasn't in his relationship. So, so I would say this, as you start to think about what's this look like in my life, I would say even this morning, begin to look beneath the fears. Begin to look, look beneath the anxieties. Begin to look underneath those sinful patterns and begin to say, hey, what am I building my life on? What does this reveal about what I think my Garden of Eden is? And let God then take you and say, here's what I have for you. In fact, he did it for Abram as we begin to wrap up, as the worst team comes up. Look at verse 14. It says, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you stand, northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. And God's saying to Abram, he's saying, hey, look, I'll give you everything. You can have the garden again. How do we know this? How do we know that God says to us, hey, listen, listen, you don't need to cling to this stuff. I've given you everything. The garden is yours. How, how do we know? Because centuries later, the true blessing of Abraham would come in Jesus Christ. And Jesus would come and Satan would lead him up onto a mountain like Abraham was led up. And this time, instead of God saying it, this is Satan saying to Abraham, he would say, look at all of this. All this could be yours. In Matthew 4, we, we, we read that, that Satan tempting Jesus, and this is all, now how crazy that is because all of it already was Christ, but what Satan was saying to Christ in that moment was, listen, you can have all of this without the suffering, without the cross. And Jesus says, no way. I came to lose everything. So now because of that, because of that moment, because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, now God can take you and I up the mountain and say, listen, all of this is yours. All the security, all the significance, all your hope, all your peace. Jesus lost it all so you could have it all. And it's only then, it's only when we begin to put our hope in that. Then, then. That we recognize that, that God, you took care of my greatest need. You've given me the ultimate wealth. Then you can treat relationships differently. Then you can treat time differently. Then you can treat your resources differently. So this morning, my hope and my prayer for us is this, that we would see Jesus. We'd receive and rest in the grace of God. Now, real practically, what, what would that look like to do that right now? I'd say this, if you don't know Christ, if you've been, you've been coming to church for a while, someone invited you out, someone has shared the gospel with you, you've heard this before, you're kind of kicking the tires of Christianity and wondering, man, is this Jesus thing for me or not? What do you do today? And you know in your heart, man, I've been putting the wrong things, I've been putting my life in these things that just aren't bringing peace and hope. Then today I would say this, trust Christ today. <coughs> Give your foundation today at the cross and say, this is yours, Christ. Give me your foundation. And know that, the, that today a new foundation can be built under you. Now, if you are a Christ follower this morning, what, what could you do? I would say this. First, I would say that, that, this, that right now, this morning, begin to rest in the gospel. 
where you begin to remove those, those bad foundations where, where God in his grace, he's, he's brought storms in your life and they're washing that sand off beneath your feet. You're looking there going, I'm not on the rock. I've been standing the wrong things. That this morning, you begin to rest in the gospel. Secondly, I would say this, live out the gospel. What's that look like? It will practically live it out. I would say maybe even right now, you're thinking of those people and you, you heard me say, man, we wanna go out and reach our neighbors and our, and our coworkers and the people we go to school with, with the gospel, that right now in your mind, maybe that God's brought a couple people to your mind that you would commit saying, you know what? And for the next month, I know what I'm doing. We're praying about what does it look like to get involved in people's lives, to have them over to our house for dinner, to, to invite them to go into their home, to begin to go into their lives, begin to speak the gospel. that you'd live it out. That you'd give. Not just live, but that you would give. That, that, that maybe that would change for you. That, that, yeah, as you're writing down, here are the names of the people that I think that I need to reach out to. That you start writing down, you know what, I, I, need, to do, I need to look at my budget. I would say this, thank you so much. What we do as a church together, we do because you're a generous church. Thank you for that. But maybe as you start to look at your foundation, you start to look at, well, what are my priorities? Uh, maybe I need to look at my budget. How much do we give? And why did we choose that amount? Lord, would you have me give more? What do I need to cut out to be able to make that happen? What do I sacrifice? Because Lord, I want, I want to give more to the cause of what you have me to give for. I want to do that because my foundation's not this stuff. It's you, Christ. What do you need to lay down at the altar? What do you need to, to, to remove from underneath you so you can stand on Christ alone? Would you stand with me as I pray? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray this morning. God, I just pray that in a new way this morning, God, that as, as we go out of here, that the, in a new way we would rest and hope and trust in you alone. That in a new way, that, that maybe even this afternoon we'd have those conversations. If, if, if we're married, we'd have them with our spouse. If we, we have friends that we'd say, hey, I want to talk to you about this stuff. Then in our small groups, we start to talk about, man, I don't know where my hope is. I don't know if my hope's in Christ alone. I can see where I've placed it in other things, where we would repent and confess to each other, where we'd, we would sit down, Lord God, and we'd say, what does my giving look like? What does my living look like? How can we do this differently? Because our foundation has changed. because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. Because there's nothing else where I find my shalom, where I find my identity, where I find my trust. I don't find it in the sinful things I run to. I don't find it in the, the people around me and the stuff you've blessed me with, Lord, that we would say, I find it in you alone. Let that be my cry. Let that be my call. Let me live out of that reality moving out of here today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.